What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby. And it's Sean, round two. Yeah. Take sorry, two. Sorry it's been a while. Uh, it's been since, like, last month, I want to say. So it's been a minute. Um, but we're back. Volume six? I don't know. Something like this that. This is just getting, like, Lord of the Rings. We got The Hobbit, like, every year. Or, no, we got Lord of the Rings every year, and then The Hobbit started coming out significantly later, and then it just became a really special event. So we go from our regular provided broadcasting services to kind of like a really, this is just a festive, seasonal type thing you you all get to experience. Yeah, but this is, I guess, the May edition of the Cronus cast. Uh, but yeah, it's been a minute. I've been uh, pretty hard at work. I've been up at Seattle up at a Harbor View uh, hospital up in Seattle for the last three weeks. Uh, I'm getting my uh, shit pushed in, essentially. It's a long, it's a very tough rotation. Um, super sick people. It's, I'm on do, I'm doing my burns rotation. So we're taking care of burn patients. Uh, so like, um, we're like, have like 20 something people on the service. It includes the ICU, burn ICU, like burn people. Pretty tough people. Pretty tough patients. Damn, dude, that is, uh, I think Burns was the one thing of, of all the injuries I felt like the army prepped you for Afghanistan and those that went to Iraq and Syria. Burns was the one that terrified me the most. Yeah, it's just like, uh, just brutal, man. Um, you get really sick with Burns and then, uh, yeah, I was like, it's, it's just a tough population to deal with, too, up at Harborview, because, like, uh, Seattle has such a high uh, population of homeless people. So, like, half the people, half our patients are either homeless or drug de- drug addicts, and then a quarter, like, normal people that get into accidents, like, you know, car accidents or, like, their house catches on fire or some shit like that. And the other quarter is, like, just kids just being kids and, like, playing with fire or some shit like that. So, uh, if you could, what is it about burns that make them so like physically debilitating or it, it, it increases your risk of like death i feel like more so than like losing a limb um wh- what does the, what happens to the skin and the underlying muscle tissue yeah so the, the big thing with burns is that it's such a um because it you know you burn your skin your skin does a lot of functions including you know like immunologic functions like a barrier preventing uh, bacteria from getting to your body it helps you thermoregulate so it helps you preserve your temperature uh, so when you are severely burnt your body goes into a, a shock state so you know you lose a lot of fluids um, intravascularly so a lot of your fluids um, inside your blood vessels goes either outside your body because it evaporates through the skin because you don't have your skin there to maintain um, hydration and then uh, with like the stress of the burn, you lose a lot of fluids intravascularly. So, the big thing with burns, like in the first 24, 48 hours, just you're like massively resuscitating people with like tons of fluids and IV fluids. Um, and then um, afterwards, just healing burns is tough because once you burn your the layers of your skin, uh, your skin really regenerates uh, from the epidermis, which is at the top layer. So once you get like partial thickness burns past the dermis epidermis junction so you get like deep burns you, you can't heal from that um so you need to do like lay down grafts and you know harvesting skin grafts from your body or other sources laying down the skin grafts and healing that so anyone that has like a pretty severe burn like 15 20 percent of your body 
you know, you're almost always going to go to the ICU and then you have to get grafted and you, people are in the hospital for like weeks and months. Mm. Dude, that's scary. And, and he just, I, I look at it from the perspective of how far technology has come, but yet it seems like one of those ones there, unlike developing, um, kind of these robotics that they have for amputees where they can wire it to your brain and and they've got some cool, you know, movement there in that field. I feel like burns, it's just like, once it happens, it's done. There's, there's really not much that you can do. Um, at least from, from my like very lay person's understanding of that kind of injury. Yeah. Like you have your immediate effects, like the acute phase where you're, which I'm like doing is acute stuff. And then, you know, making sure that they heal from the burns. And then, like, the long-term effects is, like, you have to, like, deal with the scarring, contractures, like, PT and OT to rehabilitate. Um, Talk about, like, scarring and, like, dealing with scars. So there's, like, a lot of things, um, like, adjuncts after in the chronic phase of, like, healing burns that's kind of interesting that I don't really get to see too much of. And since we got a lot of military individuals that are probably listening to this on their morning ride to do PT for the new ACFT, uh, what can they do if they're in a vehicle that is on fire or they've got to respond uh, to, you know, a fellow soldier or ranger that is on fire? What's a good way to prevent some of these, you know, longer care issues that you see from burn patients? Yeah, the biggest thing is, like, it depends on the type of burn. So, like, you've talked about chemical burns versus, like, electrical burns versus thermal like flame burns, they're all a little bit manifest a little bit differently. But definitely, like if you're on fire, you gotta put the fire out quickly, um, and then get them transferred to a specialized burn center. And luckily, the army has a specialized burn center um, down at um, Brook Army in San Antonio. Uh, that's like the army's specialized burn center. So you know they they do a really good job down there managing burns. But um, the big things with burns is prevention. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people that I've seen in the emergency department, uh, especially because it's getting warmer outside, people are starting to have bonfires, how many people are just, like, you know, having a bonfire, they're drinking, they throw like, gas in the fire and light themselves on fire. I can't tell you how many people, how, how many times I've seen that story. It's just, like, you know, if you're if you're having a bonfire, like, don't be dumb and throw an accelerant into the fire because it'll flash in your face and then light you on fire. And that's, like, so common. That's a good thing to avoid. What about wearing PPE, uh, gloves, the Nomex gloves that they issue? Yeah. It's like the army, uh, you know, does has, that. Yeah. I think the army has put like a lot of effort into, you know, and especially in the height of the GWAT RIP, um, uh, and like, you know, the flame resistant AC pattern, uh, the frac use and all the new kind of advances they have in uniforms preventing thermal injuries. Um, so, you know, they've done a better job with it. I think that, I mean, I'm sure like in, you know, Iraq, in the early days in Iraq, when like vehicles were getting blown up and they'd catch like exploding flames and shit like that. No. Yeah. Well, dude, you mentioned it. RIP GWAT. Uh, God, that it's been so long that we haven't even had a chance to talk about that. But yeah, September 11th, I don't know what the significance of that date is any longer, <laughs> but uh, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. I, I feel like that was 12 or 13 years now too late. Um, but I, I simply do not understand how you have these defense department types that are sitting back and criticizing it. 
and are upset by it because it is just turned into it's our Af- it's our Russia Afghanistan. Uh, it, it, the Taliban is taking you know territory back. Vice News just did a thing where they embedded with some of the Taliban and you know they talk like a bunch of tough guys and uh, they're taking it back you know a, a large swath of the country. But what what would be the purpose of staying there any longer? Especially, I think we had like three to one contractor to soldier there, and that was mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So it's just we we talk about the Green New Deal costing one point eight trillion, or you know how many trillions we're spending on these bills. Afghanistan has been a money suck for two decades now. I mean, what are your thoughts on the fact that we're finally pulling out, or do you, do you think we should have stayed longer or, or done it differently? I mean, you know. I don't necessarily think there was a, you know, a end goal in, you know, in mind when we invaded Afghanistan. Like, I think, you know, like Iraq, you could argue that there was an end goal pulling out and like stabilizing and putting government in. But like Afghanistan, I don't know. It's just like, I didn't think there was a very good thought process placed into like thinking or analyzing the end goal kind of like vietnam you know like there was no end goal in mind it was just like well we're not going to win this war we're not going to win in the traditional sense so what's the point like what are we doing here i think that's true of afghanistan like you know we tried putting a democratic government in but try both stirring up the military their military um, but ultimately proved quite futile i wish i'm not a fan of the sfabs in general uh not from the way they do business or what they bring to the fight. But because when it was coming out, they propped it up as this, we're going to give you a beret. You're going to have a tab. They tried to make it seem more soft than it was. And people would call going to their S fab selection, going to selection, confusing people. But I wish we had had that earlier in Afghanistan because in watching some of the reports coming out of the country where people are going and interviewing the, you know, local authorities and the army there, I feel like we took such a lead for, you know, 16 years and really didn't do a good job of making them feel the full effect of leading operations that now that we're gone, it's like their big brother's no longer there to back them up and uh, they didn't lift any weights or do anything in the interim and the people we're fighting are, are still, you know, there and present and, and willing to throw down and they're they, they're completely incapable of doing that yeah i mean like but we've put we that mission set's been there for a long time so i remember that there was like the mtt's back in like 2010s early 2010s like the mtt's that would like embed them with like the local you know afghan ana and like help train the ana we have SF obviously doing the same mission set too, but it's like yeah, but I think there was one. There's a difference between you had the the MTTs and and like the SF teams going out there and taking an entire Kandak and putting them through an operation in the train up to do it. But when I was there uh, first in thirteen or f- yeah thirteen, we'd be going out on quote-unquote partner operations it would literally just be a a ford ranger truck with three or four guys in it yeah high on everything and we would just roll around the desert and that was a partnered operation uh even in regiment we would have partnered operations uh and that would be as you know broadly as you could define a partnered operation as possible 
Um, so I, I just feel like we did not put a strong enough emphasis on, on making them actually do it and maybe limiting how many of us were going out of the, the wire every single time. Because now they're complaining they don't have the right technology or their tools. And you're sitting back going, how do you not have the right technology or tools? Like Other, other than air support, you all have M4s, you, you have night vision devices, you have you know gizmos and all the other kind of high-tech shit that you need to fight uh, and, and get the upper hand from an intelligence gathering, uh, you know, a, a, a communication side of the house. So, what don't you have to be successful? It's just the uh, the ability to do things. I don't know, man. It's just like you can lead a horse to water, but ultimately you can't make him drink. And same thing with the Afghan army. I felt like you can lead him to water. You can do, give him all the the billions and trillions of dollars of resources to develop their own, you know, defense force. But ultimately. They don't care. They don't want, you know, you know, the vast majority don't care. And it's just a, you know, paycheck. I mean, and that's even if they're getting a paycheck, because yeah. I, I remember, I, I mean, at least once a week, if not every couple of weeks, our counterparts would complain about not getting paid or their, you know, local municipality wouldn't have the funds to give them gasoline to go out but to check in with us and drive back and then they were dry. Uh, so from that standpoint, you know, that, that's a, that's another issue that I don't think we even helped them solve because I've, again, not speaking as an expert here, I feel like there was a ton of corruption and we just threw a shit ton of money down the drain to try to prop up some sort of infrastructure, but it ended up going into someone else's coffers. Oh, that's a hundred percent what it is. Like, you know, the corruption was like rampant there and you know the people that are in positions of power there are decision makers are 100 percent like you know taking diverting the funds to their own personal gains and ultimately not like putting it to where it should go yeah i don't know what's gonna happen uh in afghanistan truth be told i i hope they get it together i feel like they're gonna have a couple really hard months if not years ahead but Maybe once the Afghan people see that they're being targeted by the Taliban and Al Qaeda, ISIS, you know, whatever the the flavor of the month is for extremism, um, and they're being targeted not because they're working with the United States, but simply because they're Afghans standing on the opposite side. Maybe that'll get them motivated to say, okay, this this clearly isn't the religious war that they were propping up to be for the last twenty years. This is clearly a selfish just grab for power and you know i want afghanistan to be a thriving country like it was in the 70s uh before the russian invasion and you know before the the uh the 90s and and it going downhill yeah i don't know it's just like i feel like the people of afghanistan just could care less who is in power they just would want some sort of stability um you know Well, this is why we need someone that's SF to talk about this to be uh, one of the few benefits of, of Green Berets. Uh, you know, one, usually good hair, two, good beards, uh, three, excellent whoopee jackets, uh, if you're following online on Instagram with that drama. Um, but I felt like all the SF guys that I knew and still know are usually whatever that, that area of the world is that they have to know. Like, they know that history. They someone We could get a Green Beret on here right now and they could tell you 
everything from a political standpoint that Afghanistan went through and then the impacts of all the other stands around it uh, and, and any kind of, you know, drugs that were fueling uh, financing to these terrorist organizations. Where I think this is clearly one of those instances where we're just a bunch of like knuckle draggers. Like our, our job was so much different than what they got to do or what they were supposed to do than, than us. Yeah, I don't, you know, I agree with that. I mean, what do I know about, you know, geopolitical conflicts in the Middle East? I'm just a fucking doctor. <laughs> I just, you just push a button. I just pushed two buttons. <laughs> yeah. Roger, checkpoint five. Yeah, but I think what it is interesting is like the, uh, you know, the vacuum that we're, the power vacuum that the American government's leaving behind. And then you already have China with a presence in Afghanistan. And then now Russia is pushing into again. So it's just interesting to see how, you know, that will play out. Yeah, well, my big concern now for the soft community is how are we going to cash in on the name? How, how are we going to get the the brand name secured when SEALs are no longer going to Afghanistan? I mean, how, how are we supposed to write books if we don't have war to write about? You know, I, I don't know how people are going to make money. Yeah, so like... Uh I saw that CBS report about the SEALs talking about it, and I kind of like it because, like, I enjoy it. Actually, I mean, like, everybody knows about SEALs now because of everything that's been done the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. And then that dumb show on, I think, I think the show was on CBS yeah. too, the SEAL team. Yeah. With a guy that used to play Angel the Vampire or Vampire Slayer. Yeah. But he's on, uh, what was it X Files? No, it's not X Files. Is that the same guy? No, it's not. No, it's not. Never mind. Disregard. Yeah, I, but I, I dislike... I saw that same thing on the SEALs and how they had some active duty and former uh, team guys. I completely agree. I mean, we've been saying this for, I feel, as long as we've been doing the podcast and poking fun at it and kind of just, you know, prodding the bear there. But it's true. There is. There seems to be a culture that the SEALs really care a lot uh, about notoriety uh, and starring in movies or, or getting some attention. I, I would say um, I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast where he sat down with Mark Luttrell mm-hmm. or Marcus Luttrell. I don't know which one he goes by uh, and talking about how Lone Survivor came to be. That was one of those ones I always ignorantly thought was he just wanted to write about the book and then finding out that the Navy was saying, hey, we want to get your story out there. So I think part of the thing we should also consider, because we seem to put the onus on these individual SEALs, is how much do you think the Navy, though, is fully aware of what's going on um, and and is completely fine with it because it's probably increasing recruitment numbers at like on an astronomical level, especially within the last couple of years with all these movies and shows? Yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, the Navy definitely has a part in it, but there's also, I mean, the military... To do anything, to like publish a book, you're supposed to get the DOD to prove it, you know. So it has to go through like the censorship, when whatever. So like, yeah. In all capacities, the military is involved with all these like books and things like that. Um, but definitely like the Navy, like getting out the story and changing that PO and the the public perception of you know the military. It's like Black Hawk Down. Like Black Hawk Down was, you know, sponsored by the U.S. Army. That movie. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, but Top Gun, I, you know, all the oh all my the god, yeah, Top movies. Top Gun, Top Gun, one hundred percent. That was, and yeah. I think, in Top Gun two, uh, which is supposed to come out here, is 
from from the commercials that I've seen seems almost uh, significantly more like a paid advertisement by the military than Top Gun uh, 1 was. But yeah, going back to the Marcus Luttrell thing, if you haven't listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, I would take a listen because it was really interested hearing him uh, speak about that whole process of writing the book and how the Navy approached him and you know what story he wanted to get out. So not knowing now the other stories of why people have written books about killing bin Laden, which I assume was definitely not the Navy going up to somebody and saying, hey, we want you to write about this covert mission. Um, I now am suspect that there's not a larger, you know, hand of God influencing these individuals um, than, you know, existed before with it kind of being a selfish look. Yeah, I think it's probably probably like maybe like 50-50 in terms of like guys wanting to make a book because, I mean... You know, we talked about in our episode about selling out and making a book off of, you know, experience and name. Um, but, you know, I think part of it is got, you know, guys like want to get make a living after they get out of the military. And then, two, you're in this very unique position after being in the military to do certain things, you know. Sure. I, I, th- I think it's one of the things we kind of take for granted because Cronus is a nonprofit and we don't make our living whatsoever off of it. So I can definitely see if we were a for-profit entity trying to compete against other soft brands, it's probably gotten way more toxic just in that community than it otherwise would have been because people want that clout. They, they want that notoriety. They want to be the premier soft and and in our experience and our time that we spent there is is like a fraction of what some of these dudes ended up doing in their careers but that's probably also something that individuals should consider when looking at the community retrospectively when when individuals leave because it just seems to be a oh no i i'm the more hardcore person i did the more badass thing i i'm more jacked i'm more fit rather than just being like okay cool it's it's another soft brand just move on. Yeah, I think a lot of it like goes into the social media element and like that, like you said, the clout chasing, especially you know trying to create a social media following. Yeah, because you, would would you say though that if like you're, I know you're active duty, but if you are active duty, soft, have a company or don't have a company. I would probably not have a company just because, I mean, you probably, from a security standpoint, shouldn't broadcast that you are, you know, active duty in a soft element. Just from a, you know, per-sec and OPSEC standpoint, they just set you up as a target for, you know, potential, like, like you don't know, like intelligence gathering from foreign entities, what have you. Well, it just seems like a little unprofessional too, putting you know your name on a product. It's the same thing as like a doctor, like putting their name on a product that's you know not. They're just there to make a buck off it, you know, using their title and their name to do so. Um, so it just comes off as ingenuous, disingenuous, and uh, maybe a little definitely. self-serving. You definitely see that. I, I know the last thing on the soft uh, stuff was of the millions of meme pages that we both follow. One of the ones being. I don't know the brand name, but somebody's making a whoopee and saying there or a whoopee hoodie, which I feel like has been around for a couple years. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like Warm and Fuzzy does them 
every quarter. Yeah. But somebody's making one now, and I think that going back to what we were talking about with GWAP being over, you know, they don't have the experience behind their their soft identity, and they're kind of getting dragged through the mud for even starting it while they're still just junior on the teams. That that just goes back to like, what is the focus of what you're doing in the military? Did you join because you wanted to get this beret then to cash in on it really quickly? Or is this a long-term investment cash in on it afterwards, but I can't stop you from making money kind of thing. It, it almost seems like one of those instances of this is the male version, although men are on only fans this seems to be the male-dominated OnlyFans of uh, the soft world. You, you know, I'm not showing you my body part like some other members of the military, but I want you to buy this exclusive Woody that has uh, two arrows uh, from my soft days to show you that I developed this because I'm special. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pay me for my content. Yeah, it's like, you know, like the memes that are like, uh, you know, about you get out of the military and then it's like the one was like the button of like start a start a uh apparel company or write a book you know that meme yeah <laughs> yeah uh, we haven't we haven't really done either i feel like we have apparel but it's not i don't know we we, we make it so that there's zero profit margin so people just can wear the stuff when they go to the gym Speaking of apparel, we do have Ranger paintings that came in. Uh, I need to list them on the website. We also have flags now that I have yet to list them on the website. That's how busy I've been. I haven't been home. This is my first day home in like two weeks, so I haven't even had a chance like doing the Corona stuff. That we That's exciting. Do. Yeah, I, I remember when we, we got that order set up because people have been asking now for at least two years since we dropped our first T-shirt of when are you going to have Ranger panties. And now we do. And they'll have the – sorry. They'll have the uh, – the logo on them and you can you can rock out with your thighs out skies out thighs out is always the motto and then definitely with the flag that'll be a cool i'll have to get one to put it behind i i don't think i even told the listeners this but i'm in jersey city now i've moved out of the city no longer in the upper west side i am out um, i'm one of the the thousands that left new york city because of bill de blasio and cuomo and covid no i'm kidding i i just left because i was getting tired of the city yes and next you have to just move down to texas with everybody else moving to texas now right okay so now that we've covered some topics because people don't like how we like bullshit at the beginning of the episode sometimes we'll bullshit in the middle of it so you can just fast forward later uh jersey highest property taxes in the country the worst roads i have ever driven on what do the taxes go to? I, I swear to God, driving on Highway 1 was a smoother ride than going from here to the Red Bull Arena to watch the Red Bulls New York City in New York City soccer team. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I do. I will say that being here on the on the West Coast, I do kind of miss Jersey and the East Coast is a pretty good amount. I do miss how, like, where we lived in South Jersey, it's like you had really good Italian food. Really good Indian food, pretty good Asian food, and you're like 45 minutes from Philly. And like here, it's like the I would thought I would have thought the Indian food would be better here, but the Indian food is shit around here. You have to go up to, up to like Seattle to get good Indian food. Italian food, don't even talk about Italian food here. Oh my, yeah, ketchup on on pasta is probably what you're gonna get up yeah. there. Pizza, trash pizza up here. Pretzels, no like Jewish bakery, no Jewish delis. Like oh. 
Well, dude, it's something in the water. I'll be honest. Like, I don't think wherever you go in the country, if you don't have the pollutants running into the water like you do in New York City or Philly, you're not going to get the best dough to rise. You're not going to get that flavorful. What kind of, you know, bromide is sitting in in my everything you can eat bagel that's going to really give it that metallic taste that I love so much? I don't know. But, like, I refuse, the bagels I hear are trash. Um, the... There's really like no the seafood out here is like pretty good. That's the only thing I'll say is like the seafood is pretty good. You get like really good. I salmon. should hope so. Because you get good salmon, good like crab and what have you. But besides that, the food up here is not much right home. About even the Mexican food kind of sucks up here. Yeah, I I don't know where I feel like when I lived in Texas, the Tex-Mex food was incredible. Yeah. Uh, Colorado was good too. Um, here. And I mean, New York City has you know, like yeah, tons of food. Yeah. You can't beat the food uh, from from New York. But I'm trying to think what else I. I remember when I moved away, um, and I came back. The things that I enjoyed was the rate of driving. Whether you're on the Turnpike or or 95 or the Garden State, people fly like they're going somewhere. That's one thing I hated about Colorado. I wish now I could go back and live in Colorado because I love that state so much. In in hindsight, but the drivers out there. Not everyone is high, but they sure as shit drive like it. Slow. It's 70 miles an hour. If you're not going 85 in the left lane, get over. And the far right lane should be going 70. New Jersey, it's like the right lane is 90. The left lane is I only drive the BMWs, a Porsche, or a Ferrari. That is a very accurate statement, dude. I fucking hate the drivers out here in Washington. It is so bad driving. Like the speed limit is like will be like sixty on I five and people will drive fifty five in the left lane, and it's like out of control. I don't understand. And people, I don't know how people in Washington suck at driving in the rain. Like when it starts raining out here, nobody knows how to drive in the rain. People are like throwing the hazards on the highway and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, oh no. I don't know. Understand people like can't drive in the rain out here too. It's just bizarre. Well, it's like Colorado. You'd, you'd see people driving their Honda Civic when we'd have a foot and a half of snow. You're going, you live in Colorado. You have Colorado plates. Why don't you have a car that is all-wheel drive at a minimum? Or why don't you have, you know, chains on? One thing I did learn, uh, if you get stationed at Fort Carson, it does not snow that much. You might get a couple big snows a year, maybe three to four. But you have to be further north and, you know, closer to, I think, Breck to really start Mm -hmm. getting... Um, you know, a good amount of snow that you think would, would hit the Rockies. But you're in, like, a, the plains of Colorado. So if you're going to Colorado, don't buy all this mountaineering shit because you will definitely not use it. Well, I will say that Christy and I have gotten into a lot of mountaineering stuff this past winter. Bought snowshoes. We all bought all the ski stuff. Nice. making the, the, the mountain transition. I'm debating whether or not I'm going to buy an Epic Pass or Icon Pass for this winter. I didn't realize Epic Pass is stupid cheap. It, well, it is if you're your military for yeah, sure. It's I like think. 180 bucks for military. But the Icon yeah. Pass, Icon Pass is the same thing, but like Icon Pass has a little bit more in Washington. The Icon Pass is like eight hundred dollars for military, which doesn't quite make sense to me. That's not a thank you for your, my service yeah, type like price. Off. Come on, Icon. Yeah, it's like ten percent off. And I'm like, not getting my school paid for. I didn't get free health care for you to tell me I have to pay more to ski. <laughs> get real. Yeah. So I'm probably gonna get the Epic Pass and then see if i even use it this year Who knows? hey 
does does the icon pass though have like you know military member with the background being multicam to again just identify you as military? I don't know. I, I'm probably not gonna buy it. If it doesn't, it's not worth it. That's true. Um, but yeah, it, the winter time was actually pretty fun. This I've never been snowshoeing before until this last winter time. Snowshoeing is pretty fun. Snowshoeing is super. Yeah. Fun. Oh yeah. I, I did it in Estes Park uh, two winters ago. Forgot the snowshoes day one. That was a horrible experience. Uh, I did not think snowshoes mattered that much, and I, I learned the following days that you know they are a great invention. Yeah, and that's you know I made that discovery too. Like, you know, you think I like snowshoeing because you can just literally walk wherever you want on this, like mm-hmm. in like a you know on the snow you can go anywhere. Uh, but if you're like walking, like if you're out hiking, you have to like kind of stay on the trails. But like if it's snow, you can literally walk anywhere in snowshoes. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's great. I I love snowshoeing. Uh, it's one of the things that. We were talking about moving to Jersey. I think I'm going to be in Jersey for at least like five to ten years if if the job works out. But there's no access to any good skiing here, mm-hmm. like whatsoever. And I'll be damned if any of our listeners say Blue Mountain Hell or yeah. any one of the Poconos. places in the Poconos Hell yeah. or Okemo or Killington, you know, like Sugarloaf hashtag Breckenridge of the East. Um, Tell me that like those are the places to go because it's skiing on ice, it's skiing on mountains that like are smaller than the one that I lived adjacent to in Colorado Springs, and it's with a bunch of East Coast skiers who just don't understand the pow pow, you know they they don't get it. No, I remember the first time I came out of Colorado to visit you and skiing powder for the first time was like a life changing experience. Yeah, it's amazing. It one. It makes it easier when you fall because it does not hurt. But skiing East Coast, I mean, it's just it's painful and it's it's you might as well like buy figure skates because that that's that's going to be what you have to do to get down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally different experience and really appreciated. Like uh, when I first got out to Colorado, like skiing the powder, I was like, wow, this is this is you know a huge huge difference in East Coast skiing. Well, here's another question for you uh, in looking at the Icon or the Epic Pass. Are you only going to go ski at places that have the wellness sign? What does that mean? Oh, my God. You don't even know what the wellness sign is? Is, is, is the military not teaching you anything anymore? You know, like Lady Gaga's behind it. Uh, I think Michael B. Jordan is on it. It's a sign that says we are safe. We are creating an environment where there's no covid i don't think they can they can confirm that but they lysol everything down when people come in i don't know i feel like it's a a paid thing to say that like people are super aware of of covid's impact uh but speaking of texas and and joe rogan uh did you hear about his statement about getting the the covid vaccine cuz both of us are fully vaccinated by the way so like if you want to attack attack somebody that's bought in both of us have oh uh, wasn't it like the uh if you're young and you're healthy, you probably don't need the vaccine. Yeah. Like that. I'm going to hesitate to like weigh in on that because, you know, as a medical professional, I, I feel like I have a duty to push, a, to not push, but like to stay, have a certain position when it comes to this stuff. Okay. So, so I'm kind of hesitant. Allow, allow me, dum dum here. I will ask questions. And as a medical professional, we give the audience some, some general things. Here's my rationale behind why I think Joe Rogan feels the way that he does. One, if we look at the science, individuals that are younger 
healthier, not not labeled or not characterized as overweight or now having obesity are significantly less likely to be hospitalized and or die from COVID-19, like true or false? Uh, true. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. You're saying, wait, wait, sorry. I zoned out for a sec. I just, I just chuckled. So if you, if you are a, a young, healthy individual, you are significantly less likely to, to be, um, you know, negatively impacted by getting COVID. Oh uh, yeah. I'd say true. And if we look at the general population of the United States and how they prioritize the vaccine, it went to the individuals that are more likely to be sent to the hospital or experience uh, really bad symptoms. True. Okay, so I think what he was trying to say in his Joe Rogan, I'm getting paid millions to say whatever I want, is if younger people don't want to get the vaccine and they catch COVID or they can pass COVID on, the individuals that are at most risk in society already have the vaccine. So at this point, who are we protecting or why are we continuing to be worried about the impacts of COVID if we have reduced the the risk for the population that would most likely die from it or, you know, be hospitalized. Like that, that's what I like. I feel like the, the probability of having COVID and going to the hospital is significantly less once we vaccinated, you know, like 10 to 20% of the population that was in that like critical group. And then now it's, if you catch COVID, you might have it. Some, some people are going to have like really bad side effects but that chance of death is like almost zero. Um, it from from what I gather, he was trying to say. Yeah, I think he. Yeah, I mean, like, I think people will fit what his statement is to their agenda in terms of you know whether you're pro-vax, anti-vax, or what have you. They'll take his statement and fix it, and you know make it fit whatever they're trying to say. But um, I think at the end of the day what the big takeaway is, is that this country should have been prioritizing health and, you know, diet, exercise, and all these other things rather than pushing for, you know, like, letting people wait, have to wait until the vaccine, until, say, it's safe to do normal things. Yeah, I, th- I think it's horrendous that there's a couple graphs out there that show countries that have the, like, highest death rate uh, for a population um, based on COVID. And like the United States is up there and the relation to obesity and like overweight nations in general, just not the United States, but usually very affluent nations compared to like third world countries that don't have access to food like we do. Dealing with COVID, like they, they have almost no deaths from COVID, but they still have the infection, um, which just... I'm upset that we didn't talk about it as a country more than a year ago because we closed down gyms. We disincentivized going outside and doing fitness. A lot of people did it anyway. I mean, the military did that. That's another case study that I feel like people can look at, at least when it comes to COVID, how many U.S. service people have died from COVID? I think it's like 40. The last thing I heard was like 40. What do we, and I, I would say that that's probably a much lower percentage than like the the uh, percentage rate for you know the general population of the United States, I, I don't know the math on that, but again, just 
figuratively, I feel like being healthy, like in the military, even though we've we've ripped the military for being unhealthy, both from the defects and from general fitness that units have. But in general, if you just work out and, and maintain some level of health, like I feel like that was a huge benefactor. Uh, benefactor. That's not the wrong. Oh, that's the wrong word. Uh, it was like a, a beneficial thing to have in your back pocket, uh, taking on you know the threat of COVID. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there's definitely something you said. Like even like somebody like even your fat soldier who runs like an 18 minute two miles, still probably in like better shape than 90 percent of Americans. If you think about it that way. <laughs> yeah, when I was at the Red Bull Stadium, it was. I mean, it's it's nuts to see. I think drinking went through the roof in the United States. Cans were sold out for a lot of these uh, craft beer distributors and manufacturers because people were just drinking a shit ton of beer, a ton of liquor. Like that's one thing that did not go out of style during COVID. So you had people that didn't go to the gym or work out, were staying at home all day and drinking. And, you know, 40% of the population or something gained like 21 pounds. Like that is nuts. It's the COVID twenty. Yeah, it's the it's the COVID twenty before we hit the the roaring twenties this summer when everything's back open. And that's something that I don't understand. I just flew out to California. We had to maintain six feet of distance everywhere in the airport, and yet on the flight, like we're packed into like sardines. I've never been on a flight where every single seat was occupied. Every single seat was occupied. That's terrible. And yet, like the six foot thing matters. Why then? Like there, there's so many issues that I can see why individuals would be hesitant to get the vaccine or listen to any CDC guidance when we've been doing stuff so poorly for the over a year where policies don't make sense because we just haven't had people come out and say, like, this is how it should be done. Like, this is the floor increase. But instead, we've like so we were told this is the ceiling, like this is as bad as it's going to get. And it just it it blows my mind. It was I, I think. Both the Trump administration and the Biden administration, the, running the CDC has just been like atrocious because you get so many confusing mixed signals. And in, incredibly, like going outside without a mask on now, as long as you're outside and you're you're vaccinated, or if you're not vaccinated and you're not going to be within people, like that's just kind of like bad. That's bad language. And and the little graph that they gave mm-hmm. is is just as poorly written. I, I just don't understand. The government's had a year to develop this and. I just feel like we're we're sitting here as a public going, what is the problem? Yeah, I think it's something you said about just like, you know, a large like a bureaucrat like bureaucracy. I think that's something you said about bureaucracy and I mean ultimately I'm more of a libertarian in the fact that I think that, you know, you should be free to make your own decisions, but you have to live with the consequences of your own decisions. Um but you know. If you're young and you're healthy, you know, you probably don't need to get vaccinated, but you probably should. It's probably not going to hurt you. So you can't weigh the risk benefit. You need your own risk benefit analysis for yourself, you know. Well, absolutely. And it's like one of the reasons that I got the vaccine was a lot of people. People think that businesses can tell you I can't excuse me, rephrase that. Individuals think businesses don't have the authority to say you have to put on a mask. They have the authority to tell you to wear uh, shoes and a shirt. So what makes you think they can't tell you to put on a mask? So like besides that argument being completely dumb, the idea that, you know, companies could say, hey, you need to be vaccinated. They companies have a right to protect, you know, their employees, especially during pandemics. There, there's some latitude that that is provided. So if someone's going to say, hey, you can't come back and study here unless you get the vaccine, like I'll go get the fucking vaccine. It's, it's not 
an issue. I don't have this big transparency problem that others might have with how the FDA fast-tracked uh, a COVID vaccine. Um, like, it's science. But it's like it goes back to, I think, that uh, people don't trust evolution because they didn't see how the watch was put together. They just see the finished product and go, oh, there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way, bro. There's no way that the hands figured out that way and that the little things on the inside work out. Like, I just think it goes back to ignorance and people – if they don't know the answer or the flat earthers out there aren't shown video proof, they're just always going to be skeptics. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just uh, uneducation versus misinformation when it comes to the vaccine, too. Like, I see so many people say that, like, the vaccine changes your DNA, but, like, it doesn't, you know? <laughs> there's no, there's nothing to support that. And it's like, I don't know. People just want to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a a lot of people have gotten the vaccines and I'm telling you the horns and the extra tail are not a bad addition. I can't tell you how easy it is biking in the arrow position and have my tail come around now and feed me my goose, give me my water, adjust my sunglasses, like people, it's worth it. Yeah. No appreciable difference. And yeah. I have nothing, yeah. Yeah, well, you're a doctor, so I I only got it because of you, not what Doctor Fauci said, but because of what you said. Damn right. Um, Dude, I bonked hard, so fucking hard yesterday on my bike. Oh, I knew I was gonna say. I was gonna say something about the COVID vaccine. I love how like. Um, people in the army and the military are kind of pushing back on getting the vaccine. It like doesn't oh, yeah. make sense to me. Oh yeah. I'm going to get, I'll get the smallpox shot. I'll get the SARS shot. I'll get the typhoid shot. But this shot, this is the one that people are going to question. Like, are you nuts? Yeah. Is that really like, when's the last time anthrax came around? When's the, when's the last time any of these viruses that you just let people shoot up into you? I mean, hell, during Ranger School, the peanut butter shot, did you have any idea what was being shot in your ass? No. They just give but it to this you. one, people are like, oh, I've got a moral objection to it. Like, okay. Some, someone really is, is taking a stance. Yeah. I don't really quite get it. It's just like, I just wait. I'm just waiting for the day the military just says you have to get the vaccine and then listening to people like cry about it. I can't wait for that. Like, in oh, well, that's never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the military tried to come out and say that we're not going to have a gendered PT test. And uh, I think in the last time since we've talked, that's turned out to be wrong. And kind of we're acknowledging gender on the ACFT. You can now do a four-minute plank if you can't pick yourself up. God forbid you have to climb over a great brown Afghanistan again. Maybe that's why we changed it to a plank, because you don't have to climb any longer. Yeah, I was like, uh, Chris and Grice did write a pretty good article about... Um, do you ever see that article? Oh, dude, great article. Yeah, yeah great article. Um, and it's just like, I think that's a very, you know, accurate, very um, well-written eloquent article about how, you know, how your best intentions may not lead to your desired effects, I think. Yeah, I, I've been a proponent of, of downsizing the military forever. Like, I don't think it should be a, a right to serve in the military. It's a privilege. And if you're not bringing something to the table, you shouldn't be in. 
Like there's no reason for you to serve if you're not if you're not a, a benefit, a net benefit to the services. So if you're coming in overweight, if you're coming in you can't meet the physical standards, if you're a man or a woman, you shouldn't be there. And if the standards are so difficult that maybe like a lot of like women, for instance, can't do it. Well, I'm sorry that the, the military is in the occupation of winning wars. And if, if we look back recently, there's not a lot that we've definitively won. So like, less we really want to repeat some huge mistakes because of fitness, like I think fitness needs to be prioritized. Y- you look back at the physical training that people did in preparation of World War II, and it still makes me feel like the army was way too easy on me. You see what the the Rangers had to go through up in Carrick Fergus, where they're getting you know live rounds are being shot over their head as they're scaling cliffs and people are falling off the cliffs and the whole don't drink any water for this twelve mile foot march from Band of Brothers. Can you imagine if they tried to make soldiers do that today? You'd have a regular infantry company have a third of their guys fall out within the first three miles, not even focusing on the last six to nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something we said about I don't, but. I don't know if that's, like... Because people always say, like, you know, back in my day, the army was harder and, like... But I don't know, you know, if that's an accurate thing to say or, you know... Well, I don't... I think fitness has improved from when my parents were in looking at, you know, their PT test was just a two-mile run in boots when they first got there, and it was just calisthenics. That's all they ever did. So I think the incorporation of weightlifting has definitely made the army a stronger fighting force, but I think we are swinging too far into the weightlifting and you know at the uh at the uh at the risk of not having any endurance now. Yeah. Um, we need to get we need to get back to to cardio. Yeah, I, I mean I, I kind of agree with that statement too, but I mean that's why I mean that's why they have like the certain tests to me like if you don't get tested on something you're not gonna you know train for that thing. That's why like you know having the five mile test because you have to somewhat train for five mile to be able to do well in the five mile. Yeah, and, but I think it's bad that we have individuals in Congress that are putting such an effort politically on the the fitness testing to say we need to have an inquiry into this, and it's from people that have never served. Um, and if, you know, if people are like, oh no, Senator Blumenthal served, eh, like you can't tell me being national guard and, and not deploying to Vietnam during that time was the same service, you know, as guys like Ralph Puckett, who just got, uh, nominated and confirmed for the, the medal of honor from his tours of service in Korea and Vietnam or Mitch McConnell or any of these really old individuals that, you know, have military service in their bio, but then you find out that they got out of Vietnam because, you know, they were wealthy or did the education thing when hundreds of thousands of others that didn't have that opportunity, you know, had to go and serve like that, that, that rubs me the wrong way when people stick their nose and things that they shouldn't. And I've got a big nose. I should know. Yeah. Shout out to uh, the Ralph Puckett, Colonel Puckett. Do do you, uh, do you ever go to your ranger school? I remember when we were doing Mount Bestie and he was sitting there like cheering us on in Malvesti at like four o'clock in the morning. I was like, first I didn't know who this guy. I didn't know who, who he was, and I was like, who is this guy? And people are like, look at me like I was like speaking sacrilege. Well, like, that's because you're like one of the few infantry guys that you know, or non infantry guys that graduates from that course. But I mean, you got the Ralph Puckett Highway on Benning, yeah, um, which is great. 
you know, until the MPs are in it because MPs are in everything. But I met him at uh, an MCCC event where he was in um, his uh, ASUs. And I mean, it's just, you know, his his chest and his rack are incredibly impressive. And he was just the nicest guy. And, and we all had an opportunity to to sit and meet him. He, he came to the, the Ranger School graduation. I mean, just talk about somebody who's invested his entire life into making that community better and just being a really positive role model for it. Like that, and that, and what that dude did in Korea, like huge stones, huge stones yeah. on that dude. Yeah, I just remember like at Malvesti, um, you know, when you're like, going through like the the mud puddle or whatever the fuck it is and then doing on the obstacle course and he's just sitting there on the side like saying like you can do it don't give up it's kind of, that'll always be ingrained in my memory yeah looking back on ranger school i i can't think of like the really bad times there which sucks because i remember graduating going i'm gonna remember this for a long time but i can't uh I know they happened. I know I was miserable in, in some instances and really annoyed or angry or hungry. But it was like, I just have to tell myself that's how I felt. But I, I physically can't recall those emotions any longer. It's probably good. I have very distinct memories of like my, some of my lowest points at Ranger School. I have very distinct memories of those lowest points. Oh. Uh, yeah. The only one I have was, was waking up and not having my saw underneath me. That, that's that's the one that I, I think I'll, I'll remember that like pit feeling in my stomach of oh no where's my gun <laughs> what happened yeah I have like distinct memory of each phase of like some of my lowest moments in each phase and I just have like flashbacks I can like have like flashbacks or like I can remember like everything about that moment uh, I, yeah I don't I don't have it any longer now it's just like a yeah I went there I did it um, you know it's I don't want that to like it's one of those things you see dudes that do graduate and like that is their one accomplishment from the military. That's like the one thing that they can hang their hat on, which is a really cool accomplishment to, to have. Um, but it's like, you want to move on from that, especially like if the military is one small portion of your life, like whatever your next profession is, like you should have a ranger school type thing that you aspire to, to do or aspire to be, um, that it shouldn't be what you did when you were 18, 22, 23. Like that, that's the one thing too, like I has been probably one of the driving factors for that being, you know, less of a, of a space in my head, um, you know, than it was five years ago when I was still in. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I just remember like, um, in like med school and then like in residency too. And it's like, having the experience of ranger school and like having the knowledge that I've been more tired, you know, more hungry, more sleepy than I've ever been in my life, knowing what that feels like. And then comparing it to like residency where like, you know, people, some of my peers who, you know, I've never done in the military are like doing 24 hour shifts and at the end of their shift, like so tired and like they can't like function. But, you know, once you had the experience of like knowing that, of like you know doing like a 20k march and then doing a long walk and then still being able to function after a long walk and like knowing that you're you're capable of doing that uh i think is very empowering and a huge asset to you in your future life or whatever it is you do like even like For in the sure, operating man. room like um and burns like yesterday in the operating room like because people have burns you know they have a hard time time maintaining their temperature so 
And the ORs, the temperature in the OR is like 90 degrees, and they have like heating lamps Oof. on. There's heating lamps on. You're you're in layers because you have like a ga- like a surgical gown on, so like it's not like you have a fan on you. And oh it's my like, god, it is brutal. It's like being in the sauna, but you know, other people, you know, other residents will have to like break scrub to go take a break to go like get some water and stuff. But you know, I can just push through it because I know I've, I've been hotter before. I've sweat more. I've been like tired and all those other things. So, oh, know. heat heat wise, Ranger School was hot. My hottest memory that I remember is first getting to Kandahar yeah. on my first deployment where the like the the asphalt felt like moon rock. Yeah. Where it was spongy and then getting into a Mat V and driving to Fab Pasab and just being drenched with sweat going, I can't believe we're gonna be out in this every single day now for nine months. Like that but you know, speaking of like knowing when when things really do suck, like I was saying earlier. I bonked on my bike ride yesterday um, on my brick workout, and I don't think I've – I think I've bonked maybe once before in this train-up for the Ironman, uh, but dude, it's one of those – I think I probably should have just taken five or ten minutes off the bike and then gotten back on. I had to do a four-hour ride into a 25-minute run, um, ended up doing 315 into a four-mile run, and I just felt like – it was like one of those. It was a weird experience. Where you're like, I think my legs can move, but I just, yeah, I, I just don't have anything. I'm just like, Ugh, yeah, whatever. No, I hear awful you. experience. Yeah, I hear you. But I think it's just like you know, like a good once you have those like really tough experiences where you like push yourself to your limits. You know, I think that's a very valuable tool to have in your mental, you know, armament, knowing that you can, you know, push further, you know, and like keep pushing yourself because you've been worse. Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that military people really bring to the, to the table. I see it in law school where just the maturity of individuals that are coming from the military above our peers, even, even the ones that had jobs, um, and, and really fussing over things that in, you know, all honesty are not problems. I, when I hear 23, 24 year olds complaining about the conditions that, our finals are being given in where you have to download software that doesn't allow you to open up any other system on your computer so that, you know, you don't cheat or use the internet and that being like so detrimental to their law school experience while in COVID, it just makes me scratch my head because you get to take classes in PJs. You're not an undergrad, you are at law school. So you already have a degree that you know the majority of the population in America wishes they have, and now you're getting a second degree, which I would say is just under having a medical degree as far as you know a tiered approach of what is the most prestigious thing that you can be outside of you know another type of professional, and you're getting the opportunity to learn from industry experts, but you're upset that they're going to make testing slightly more difficult to make sure that you are in fact, you know, knowledgeable on the subject. Like I'm surrounded by idiots sometimes and and just like really privileged little kids. And it's the older I've gotten, like last year I was annoyed by it this year though, with COVID and hearing what people are really complaining about, um, being so privileged is just, I I have to turn my screen off sometimes because I just want to like rail against the system that my school is sometimes created because they coddle these kids. Then they, they apologize for the person having to be an adult, you know, like in, um, 
you'll you'll see instances where you know that if these professors were their employer and they gave this kid an assignment and the kid's response was what they were saying in class, that professor would not have any sympathy for, for them. But yet as a professor, they have this this like, oh, well, we'll fix it. We'll make it. It's like, what the fuck? You, you would not have like tolerated this in the private practice. Why do we make kids think that it's okay? Because then when they get to private practice, they get crushed by it. I, I just don't understand what education is doing right now with some, especially the professionals uh, at, at master's programs. Yeah, it's the same thing. I would say it's the same thing in med school. It's just like, you know, and I, but I think it depends on where you are too. Like some administrations, I think will probably do, I think do like pretty, probably a pretty good job of like, you know, accepting or like enforcing, you know, tougher, you know, um, tougher conditions because like, and it's just like you know, residency is hard, and like medicine's hard, and like everybody, like, like you're not doing people, you're doing people a disservice by coddling them during like medical school. It's like trying to say that you know you can't work twenty five shifts in medical school because it's like too hard or what have you. But like, if you don't get the reps, you, like it's like everything. Like if you don't get the reps in beforehand, like you once it comes to game time and you can't you know produce then. You're just doing a disservice to everybody around you. And it's like, you know yeah, I mean? you're going to be in a world of hurt if you don't train under like really difficult uh, circumstances. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. But that's the, that's the thing. That's the game right now. I don't know what people are going to do when, uh, when they have to pay their dues. Yeah, pay the man. Well, right. It's like I was watching, uh, I think it's something on Barstool actually covered which I'm not like a subscriber to, to Barstool. I mean, it definitely was like in college, but um, I just feel like society is getting, I feel like I sound like such an old person by saying this, Jesus Christ. Society, it's just like a weaker society because uh, someone made the, the point in movies growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was the Arnold Schwarzeneggers, Bruce Willis's, Jean-Claude Van Damme's, um, oh, Sly Stallone. Like you had all these like very, like macho movies, and then now we get characters, and I think the the guy was talking. We get like Michael Sarah, we get you know Jason Segal, or is it Peter Segal? Which one's the one from I Love You Man and uh, Forgetting Segal. Sarah Marshall? But yeah, those are like Jason. Those are comedies. Like you know. I know, but we get like I mean, we had com- what? What are, you, what are you kidding me? Twins wasn't a comedy. Kindergarten Cop wasn't a comedy. Jingle All the Way is not a comedy. I don't know. I, because I part of the reason then I push back on what this guy was saying is we still have Jason Momoa, we have Chris Hemsworth, uh, we have The Rock for God's sakes, um, but yeah, I just don't think we had as many kind of softer Hollywood type actors um, on the male side in the seventies, eighties, nineties that we do now in the early two thousands and now into the twenty twenties. So maybe it's just society is changing and we're just stubborn old men now i think that's a component of it i mean like everybody says that you know back in my day that's always like everybody says that you know back in my day but in reality you know everything changes nothing stays the same i think that's a song i don't know i know it's from something else oh didn't the eagles just draft uh that wide receiver from uh bama they did they got a wide receiver and a center from bama all right, now we just need a quarterback. Jalen Rose, man. Yeah. I mean, their yeah. college, their college teammates, Jalen Rose, and uh, what's his face, the wide receiver. 
Wait, you mean Hurts? Jalen, yeah, what did I say? Rose. Oh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen yeah. Rose is a yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I want someone that can that can sling the ball. Jalen Hurts can um, sling the ball. He's got a pretty good arm. Mm. I don't know. We'll have to see uh, what happens this year. I, I think we should have uh, gotten Mahomes. If we had Mahomes, we'd be the number one team in the league. There's no way they would pay for Mahomes, though. Mahomes should want to come play for us out of goodwill. Yeah. Have you been to Kansas City? No. Place is a shithole. I'll say it. I, I don't care who you are. Uh, Andy Reid, you made a mistake by going to Kansas City. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you for winning a Super Bowl. Two Super no Bowls. one deserves it more. Yeah, two Super Bowls. No. No, I think just one. Oh, that's right. They lose. Never mind. Never I mind. think he won a Super Bowl yeah, as an assistant coach. But again, a- Andy Reid, I'm sorry that we didn't get it done for you with Donovan McNabb and Terrell Owens. Like you deserve to win a Super Bowl with the Eagles in Philly. So come back, bring Mahomes, like bring his signature hair. Let's get some, you know, touchdowns going. I'll I'll block the the Schuylkill for you, so we can have a massive parade going all the way down to City Ave. We'll start it at Villanova. We'll end it at Jim's Steakhouse. Free steaks for life, you know, Andy. Uh, and same for you. But, like, what the fuck is out in Kansas City? It's like Missouri meth. Like, is that what the, the draw is for there? Because I've been to Missouri. There's nothing good about that state. Yeah, I've never been out there. I have no idea. Um, I'm about to piss myself. Um Sorry, you want to start like wrapping up a little bit? Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. about to piss myself. I'm like calling it. <laughs> okay, so uh, military prep. We just finished week thirteen. We're gonna have three more weeks. It's a sixteen-week program. Uh, we just retested part of the RPFT on Saturday. If you're following, we'll have another retest period in three weeks before we move on. The next program will have uh, less swimming. Um, and we'll be more focused on some uh, traditional weightlifting and RPAT type improvements uh, instead of a, a Ranger School focus. Um, the we will have the Ranger panties and flags on the store maybe this weekend. I'll try and get around to it today. No promises. And then we're still doing our off-season programming for the functional fitness program. Um, working on base building, hypertrophy stuff. Anybody that's following along, appreciate it. Oh, is uh, Chandler competing in the Granite Games? Like, is that where he now qualifies for yeah. so that's the like games? The, yeah, that's like the semifinals, what have you, where they like qualify for the games out of there. Yeah. Okay, well, fingers crossed, everyone, for Chandler Smith, uh, the now ets uh, veteran. So make sure T-Y-F-Y-S if you see him. Yeah. Um, friend of the, friend of the podcast. Now, he's now a veteran, so uh, welcome to the club. Um, and if you are competing against him at the Granite Games, uh, you hate veterans if you don't give him at least a five to ten second head start, uh, as well as drop your your weights earlier, increase your load by fifty pounds to compete against him. Because um, I, I just think you, you have to hate soldiers if you don't if you don't let him get a head start. I mean, like why else did he he protected you? He served. You know, he signed up to prevent you from being killed. So. Get, throw him some payback, okay? Like, it's not that much to ask. You don't need to go to the CrossFit Games. And he's a good dude, too. He to and he's a, great dude. he's a great dude. And he has gr- fucking solid hair and the, the double earring now. Like, I, Dave Castro, in fact, I don't even know why you're making this guy compete. Like, just send him to the CrossFit Games. It's not, it's not a hard ask. 
I'll publish your next book, Dave. How about that? <laughs> but you're a seal, so we don't do that anymore. Sorry, I saw the CBS thing too. Yeah, you won't yeah. do that again. All right. With that, guys, uh, we will hopefully be back next weekend. I am coming back home, so I'll be a little bit more available. So hopefully we'll get some more of these going as we transition back, as I transition back. Yeah, we'll have we'll back we're back series though for a long time. Yeah, it'll be you know every so often we'll do it. It's the ongoing uh, we're back saga. Yeah. All right, guys. Until next time. All right, guys. Later. Peace.